Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with the dumpling queen, Shirley Chung. Welcome, Shirley. Hi, Chris. Good to have me. <laughs> so I think, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. We've crossed paths a lot of different places. Except you forgot. You forgot that we know each other for a really, really long time. You don't even remember. I help you compete. I like This is like at my MO. I help everybody compete. Well, I even help people compete before I started to compete myself. That's all. Like, I just want to put it out there. <laughs> I, I wanted to take credit for your win for uh, Top Chef Mastery. That's all. <laughs> I knew you were going to say 0. that. 0.05%, but at least give me some. <laughs> I want some equity. So, so to, to clarify, we met in Las Vegas. But prior to that, Shirley has been so many places and has done so many amazing things and worked with brilliant people. That's why she, where she is now. So Shirley, why don't you kind of start it off at the beginning of where it all started for you and what made you want to cook? Uh, okay, where it started. So I was born and raised in Beijing, China and um, my household is a little bit unique. So my grandfather was actually Chinese American born in the St. Gabriel Valley uh, here, uh, Angelino. And then he went back to uh, China for college at age 17, my, my grandmother. And so like then my family started like multi-generational circularly migrating. So even though I'm again, first generation immigrant and grew up in Beijing, came to the Bay Area, actually moved to the Bay Area for high school, the last part of high school before college when I was 17. Uh, and so it's kind of like funny, you know, like my grandfather went, went to China when he was 17 as well. Uh, and then, so my Chang family is five generation of Chinese American in Los Angeles. Well, I'm first generation immigrant again. So I went to the Bay Area, uh, finished college, couldn't decide. I came from a doctor, a, a whole family line of doctors. My grandpa is a pediatrician. My mom is a, a pediatrician as well. My dad's an engineer. Uh, so like naturally everybody said pre-med and I, I love blood. I mean, like, I don't say I love blood, but I love stress and I'm really good. At my, I was really good at my hand. So like anatomy class uh, in high school was piece of cake. So I was like, oh yeah, pre-med, no problem. Flunk chemistry multiple times. And then realizing that maybe pre-med is not my thing. <laughs> Although I love biology and I love anatomy. Like I was like the model students. I was demoing how to break down a rat like in high school. So that was me. Uh, and then like my dad was like, okay, maybe engineer, you're really good at math. So I'm like, kind of crazy, really good with my hand, but really good at math. I was like, okay, sure. I'll try out industrial engineering. My dad had like, he has semiconductor company in the Silicon Valley by then. Uh, and then hated it. Engineer is not my thing. I cut school every single day, but I had really great, good grades because I know how to talk to people. Um, so I used to like go to the library before the test and go, hey, can I borrow your note? And like, can you help me with my test and all those sort of things? So college was super fun. Uh, party a lot, had a great time, changed major like 500 times. And finally, my dad's like, you got to graduate. So I was like, okay, fine. Everybody's on business. Let me go get business marketing degree. So I have a business marketing degree from uh, 
Cal State Hayward, uh, University of East Bay. See, I'm Bay Area girl. Uh, and now working in the Silicon Valley for like five and a half years. My dad was uh, in semiconductors. So I worked through National Semiconductor, Siemens Semiconductor, one, one for three startups. And then my last startup, I was uh, like doing a lot of different, different hats. And then it was for firmware designing for 3G technology for cell phone. So think about this, this is like years ago. And then I so, uh, didn't, I mean, my company couldn't get a funding. And uh, so that, that startup didn't work out. And at that time that dot com busted. So it wasn't easy for me to jump around uh, looking for like workforce startups and then drive sports bars. All I love is uh, change, drive fast cars. So I changed different cars. I love shoes because back then sex in the city was hot. So like Manolo Blahnik, a whole closet full. And I love food. So I used to, me and my boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, and later on my husband, um, we used to print out the list of the best 100 restaurants from, from the Bay Area. And we would just dine down the list when, when we're in the Silicon Valley. So I always loved food. And then from that, I started to sort of like try to recreate what we had, the restaurant experience at home, and then gather all my friends coming to, to my house. And I would do the most lavish house party. We will have like castle d'oeuvres and courses after courses. And then we figure out that like, I, we love like the fatty steak. So, and then I, I used to render beef fat and then butter and base the steak. So you name it, like the best of the best uh, parties. And then my friend was like, we all want to come to your house for birthday. We don't want to go out for, for a restaurant anymore. Uh, so that was my Silicon Valley life. And then, uh, and then because I was at the crossroad, I was like, do I look for another job? that I really didn't enjoy, but I really liked the money or I looked for something that I really love. And then that time that like my husband, by then we were just boyfriend, girlfriend, but he was doing really well. He had his own business. And then like, I remember watching TV and has this like CCA California Culinary Academy commercial, in the infomercial, whatever. And I was like, oh, this looks so interesting. I was like, culinary school. Hmm. And then my husband was like, you know, like you always love cooking. Like, why don't you go to culinary school while you figure out exactly what you wanted to do? If you really want to come back to Silicon Valley, our roots, you know, all our friends and everybody's still here. So it's, it will be easy for you just to come back to find a job. But right now, like you're bored and, and you're like stressed and you just lost your job. But knowing that you're losing your job. And I, so I was like, okay, um, one, two, CCA, check it out, literally the moment that I walk in, you know, it's still at the old building, the, the in Tenderloin is like a beautiful Art Deco, five storage high. And then you walk in and all you hear, like the chopping, you, you, you have like the second floor was bakery, like the baking bread aroma. And then you just see that the students in the senior class on the final floor and then doing ice carving and Grandma Jay, it was like so grand. And for me, it was like out of movie. And back then, there's no food movie. So you were like, I was like, wow, this is exactly, this is like Willy Wonka. Like, this is like Disneyland for me. I felt the back of my hair stood up and I was like, I think this is it. Like, I love it. Like, the, the, from the smell, the sound, the people, the everything, I was like, okay, where can I sign up? So literally, I was like the first student. I was like, okay, I'm in. How much? I don't care. Let's just sign up. So after I signed up for CCA, that I want to go, go back to my job. I'm like, can I lay myself off? 
And then, so back then it was a startup. So from like 47 people, we dropped to like 11 people. And then back then I was executive level and I look at the finance, I was like, hey, I can't give myself a severance package. So I kind of told my boss, so like made him lay me off. So I will get a package and that was my severance package. I went to culinary school. Oh my so, God, that is amazing. <laughs> and then after, so for like after culinary school, like the year that I was graduating, French Laundry was the best, uh, uh, world, uh, just one world's best restaurant. And then like, you know, like everybody wanted to go. And then apparently CCA had a really bad reputation that French Laundry would not accept any students from CCA for externship. So I drove to the French Laundry from San Francisco every day after school for two weeks in my silly little, you know, the quarter blue, the tie biggest. Yep. Okay. Hello. I hope you don't do that anymore, culinary school students. Do not show up to an interview with full-blown student attire, chef coat, and your handkerchief, and a hat, a knife bag, and it don't. Oh my God. It's like the most, but I, there was me for two weeks standing in the courtyard of French Laundry and then try to talk to someone. That was before the remodel and all. And then I like, like obviously it's from a school that they didn't want it, they didn't want. And nobody for two weeks, nobody really talked to me. And then finally, I think it was Lisa from Human Resource and came out, go, you know, you know, they're just a thing that chefs are not really into people from our school. And I was like, but I'm great. And then here's my recommendation letter, because I, you know, I'm Asian, I'm crazy. I like accumulate the best gray recommendations letter, you name it. And then uh, and then the AM sous chef, Mark Hopper of French Laundry event. And he came out, he just like, hey, I saw you for like two weeks already. What do you, what do you want? Why are you dressed like this? So dumb. I was like, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm looking for an extra position. I, I'm about to graduate from my school, blah, blah, blah. And here's my stack of resume and recommendation letter. There you go. <laughs> Cause you know, I looked for a job before. I was great in Silicon Valley. So like, so I sold myself. And he looked at everything, he just like, Okay, come try out. I was like, wow. And then he's like, if you show up, maybe. So that's how I got, how I became an extern at the French Laundry. That's amazing. Well, it just goes to show you that it's like, you gave up a lot and you pushed to get where you want to be. Yeah. You weren't going to take for an answer. You did it in a polite way that really showed your interest and your desire to be there. And they took it seriously. Oh my God. So I wanted to say my first review because uh, to be an extern, like you, you worked for three months and back then French Laundry was work for free, but oh my God, we got into the world's best. So whatever. Right. And I remember halfway through, they supposed to give you a review. I had the worst review ever. <laughs> They're like, I never, I never. Okay. So the way I grew up, I love food and all, but uh, my grandmother was the director of a Red Cross in China, and my dad used to help pretty high positions in China. So growing up in Beijing, I didn't do any house chore. I didn't understand what that was. I, I grew up with nannies, like when I was little. And, and after we came to America, my dad washed dishes because I cooked. You know, like whatever you cook, you just don't wash dishes because I love cooking. So like when we first came to America, I used to cook for my parents and learn English from all the food label. Watch, it wasn't Food Network, I, can, I think it's PBS. But anyway, beginning of the Food Network probably. So like that's why part of me, because I love food. So part of me 
infused into American culture was through food. So I learned food through that. And so that's all I did. Like cooking is all I did. I didn't know how to clean house. I didn't like, I just didn't do anything. So imagine that when you are extern, literally what you do is like peel potatoes. And if you're lucky, you get to cut tomato diamond squares. And then like I messed up. So they threw away everything that I did because the diamond wasn't perfect. And then, you know, like those are the chores that you get to choose. So I was horrible at it. And so, and then also like the hour is so long. I remember you scheduled to work at six o'clock. I showed up five thirty, thinking that oh, oh my god, beat everybody. No, everyone started working for at least thirty minutes already. And so the next day, I show up fifteen minutes later. No, everybody's still here. So when I finally show up at four forty-five, that's when everyone shows up. I was like, so I, you know, the Bay Area. So Youngville, I live in Fremont. Because by then, I don't really have an income anymore. So I commute every day from Fremont to Yangdao. So in the morning, not a problem. You know, you leave the house at 3.30. You arrive there at 4.45, an hour and 15 minutes. But coming back home, if you hit the traffic, like American Canyon, whatever, that crazy spaghetti ball, like the Bay Bridge mess, then if I go home late, early, like you're supposed to, well, from six, you get up, technically get up at four o'clock, but you don't, right? If I actually leave at four, it will take me three and a half hours to get back to Fremont during traffic. So I just stay. So we will, I will stay till like after six o'clock and then you drive out Then that more makes more, make more sense. So, so technically, so the first three months, my working hour was 13 and a half hours. I wasn't used to it. And like, so, so, and I'm sure it shows, especially towards the end, I'm like leaning and this, you don't want to leave me in a French country. You know what I mean? So after my first review, I got like, granted, I was the best student from like my school, right? And I got one of the worst reviews. I was like, they were like, oh, I don't know if you're going to pass this. Like, we, we, we don't even know if you're going to finish, be able to finish this externship. So I was like horrified. And then <clears throat> finally realizing that, you know, I, I really have to take this seriously. This is not a hobby. I decided that change my hobby into a career and then technically make sure so my passion of love of food becoming career that you really have to pay so my attitude of oh I can do anything very easily because I'm smart I get to do this I ask for help you know like I'm always like can you help me with this you know like the things I did in college you work in the kitchen especially the fine dining I mean, now I ask because I'm the boss. I was like, hey, can you help me? But you know, why you're like extern? It doesn't help. Nobody's going to help you. So you really have to like, just really like, I just need to become better. So I did. And then by the time I finished my extern, they want to offer me a position. And then, uh, but then at that time, that French laundry didn't have any opening. I have to wait. And so they're like, oh, you can continue to work for free to work for your position. Or we had a position opening Bouchon down the street. Like, will you interested to take on a position, paying position Bouchon, and while you're waiting for your position opening French Laundry. I was like, yeah, sure, pick me up. So, so I actually started to, uh, my first real job in the, uh, in the culinary world, paying job was Bouchon, uh, Yangmel, working at Oyster Bar. <laughs> so I did really- you drive still? At that point, <laughs> you're still driving from Fremont all the way. Yeah. I mean, like, there are times that, the cooks 
persuade me to stay over at the Pink Palace. I'm sure everybody I work at, at, at work for TK, you all know about the Pink Palace. Tim Hollingworth, uh, uh, Corey, they all stayed in is this like giant complex of multi-living pink house that a lot of cooks are sort of rent rooms and stuff like that. So it became kind of like, we call the pink palace, so we kind of French laundry dorm room. So on the nights that like we drank too much at Poncho after work, then we, I stay overnight, like things like that, it happened. Of course you went to Poncho's. <laughs> Who did it? I mean, Poncho's is iconic to this day. Totally. And then, and then, so then I was only there for a few months. Then uh, TK wants to open or announce that Bouchon Las Vegas was opening. And then my, and then, so they went through different chefs training. I met them all. And then it all fell through. Finally, the last minute, they decided that Mark Hopper, remember my AM sous chef yeah. on the French Laundry, became the chef of Bouchon Las Vegas. So he worked with me. So he kind of like, you know, I was fun. I, like I was, I made an impression. So he asked me, he goes, hey, Shirley, will you be interested to go like Bouchon opening team? Let's like opening this shit together. And then I was in charge of Oyster Bar. So he just like, I offer you the chef de partie of Oyster Bar for Thomas Keller, Bouchon Las Vegas, a management position. I was like, oh my God, for Thomas Keller, I literally just graduated culinary school less than six, six months ago. I'm going to be a management position for Thomas Keller? Sign me up. But also I know that anything opening is a big deal, right? Like the opening experience is a big deal. So I did. And then that kind of, kind of became my MO. I became the opener of Las Vegas. So I opened Bouchard Las Vegas as Chef de Partie of Thomas Keller for Oyster Bar. But I, I was quickly, uh, very soon, uh, actually got promoted to be a sous chef. So one by the time, I, so I, I was with Bouchon for two and a half years and I was a sous chef already and like a fish station sous chef. So my nickname was the fish master because fish talked to me. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then Guy Savoy was opening in Las Vegas. So back then TK always sent his sous chef that about to become the next step to Guy Savoy, Paris to train in, uh, in a French laundry. So like for me, I was like, oh my God, Guy Savoy is opening. This is like the next thing. And then because all the way till now, I never cook like tweezer food. Like I was Bouchon, I was bistro, even though I was extra in French laundry, but then I'm like, oh, this is the fight. The Uber fine dining is exactly what I wanted to do. So I went on to work for, uh, to, uh, work for Guy Savoy and then same thing, fish station, chef de partie. <laughs> hated it. <laughs> One year, I was like, I hate this. I was like, you, I'm making, like, I'm not talking shit about, I'm sorry. Like, Mr. Savoie, I love you. Frank Savoie, like, I, the whole Savoie family, they're super lovely. Like, you know, like, future, later on in my life, you know, like, we're, we're really good. But as a young cook, I realized it's not too, it's too muted for me. You, you know what I mean? Like, look at me. I'm like this, right? And it's, you're very in a it's very much so like. Yeah, exactly. And then so, so and then also because it's the first opening of America, Agisa Bar, they're shooting for three Michelin star. And then like, so they're very conservative. So all the chef from, like all the French chef all came into training. And then like, I love that. Like Chef Laurent, we're still good friends. And we, we I used to take Chef Laurent to pawn stores in Las Vegas, look for used Rolex. 
because I also love watch, collect and use Rolex. So I used to take all the French people to go me to all the palm shops of downtown Las Vegas, look for watches and all those sort of things. Yeah, that was me. Uh, so I have a lot of fun doing that. But then recreating a recipe, like we were making like 1953 Gisa Wa with a little template. And then you have to dust uh, like all the spice and make the Gisa Wa three stripes on every single plate. And you make like cow chips and this and that. Okay. Like, you're making vegetable lasagnas, like it's fine, it's great, but it's just not my personality. Like I can do that, but it's just too much. Like I wanted to have fun. I wanted to be lively. I wanted to do like a lot of covers. And yeah, like back then in Bouchard, I was doing fish special. Like we did 800 covers and I, I was by myself on fish, sta fish station. After that, I was like, oh my God, this felt so good. So like, I want that, like I find that cooking that like very lively and fast paced is very satisfying. So after a year of Gisa Block, Tweezer, all those sort of things, it's fine, it's great. I met a lot of really great people. We're still really, really good friends till now. But I was like, this is not what I do. Okay, maybe, I don't know if I really like cooking because I got so bored. Like the whole thing that I love cooking is because all the flavor in this, and then Guise de Bois made me like bored. I was like, this is like my office job all over again. You have to sit here and like do this. I was like, too much. And, and so I was like, maybe I should go back to, to the Silicon Valley. So I quit without anything lined up. And then like called my friends in the, in the Silicon Valley, go, hey, what's going on right now? Like, who's, uh, like who can get me a job? Maybe I want to come back. And then as I'm like kind of on this break, uh, Marbutali group came into town. And they, they wanted to open like two restaurants first, B&B Restaurant and Oto. And then somehow they got my resume. Oh no, my friend, my friend, Agisawa, pastry chef, pastry sous chef Agisawa, didn't like Agisawa either. So we all, so she's the one that applied for Marabotali Group's pastry chef position. She didn't get it, but she just said, like, apply with me, Sabrina Shin. And I was like, okay, fine, here's my resume. And then so they call me, to interview, I was like, who are you from? What, what? And I was like, hey, apply. So it, because it's been really long ago, I don't even remember. And I was like, I don't really cook Italian, but okay, I saw Marvitali on TV. So I went, did an interview. Then uh, they were like, okay, you're hired. I was like, uh, what position? They were like, sous chef. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't give me a sous chef position. I never cooked Italian before. I can't be sous chef. I'm like, French trained. Can I just be like, Pasta station. I was like, I want to work pasta station. I love pasta. So I wanted to learn how to make, how to cook, everything. Like, let's start me off on the pasta station. They're like, okay. So, so I turned on sushi position, started myself off on the pasta station. And less than... I have to oh, say this. Hang on one second. I don't mean yeah. to interrupt, but that's like, that's huge. Because now to turn down a management position, you'd been in management, you turn down a management position, because you don't feel you're ready for that with this style of food, with this cuisine. That says a lot about you as a person, but also the confidence in your ability and knowing where you are and where you wanna be. Because a lot of times what would happen, Shirley, everybody would just go, I'll take a sous chef job, right? And they would take it blind and fail miserably. I mean, the fact, I mean, not that you would have failed at it, but the fact that you wanted to really be in it to know that you can do it first. I won't enjoy as much. I feel like if you just throw me like, so like that's kind of like, 
I feel like because I work in a corporate before, so like coming up in working in a restaurant, like I know how to manage people just naturally. I know how to talk to people that a lot of my colleagues. So I always get promoted too fast. And I'm like, no, I don't want to get promoted. I wanted to cook. I'm like, I want to work the line. I want to touch food. I like, I, I wanted to like, like, that's why like the liveliness of cooking and then tasting and eating all those sort of things. Not paperwork. Like I know I'm good at it, but like don't shovel me to paperwork. So that was always like my struggle throughout my career. But like, and then, but then I had such a great time. So like, and then when they were like, come on, Shirley, you need to be promoted. And I, so I was like, okay, I'm going to ask for a lot more money that you would ever offer because I really didn't want to be a manager. And also, okay, also, okay, so because they headhunted me, so when they offer me the pasta cook position, they offer me a really high hourly. They offered me $23. At, at Which is high for that. It's right? crazy. It's back then, no, back then, like, Vegas is probably the highest hourly rate when it comes to cooks. So back then, most of like master cooks, so the highest level of line cooks, they get like $18 to $19 an hour. And then so, so the Batali team really wanted to sh show them they're really sincere that after I turned down the sous chef position, they're like, we're going to give you a really high hourly. I was like, okay. So I remember my first, uh, first paycheck was like, was 47 hours of overtime. <laughs> That's amazing. Because, because even though I was a line cook, but then they wanted me to be a management. So literally they were like, oh, you want to learn this? Okay, stay. You wanted to see this station? Okay, stay. You wanted to join our R&D for menu, uh, for new dishes? Okay, let's go. So I literally stayed it. And then my hour was like so crazy. Finally, my boss, my my really good friend, he's like my best friend, Zach Allen, came to me and go like, Shirley, I'm sorry. I was like, what? And he just, I have to give you a pay cut and then give you a promotion. I can't handle your paycheck anymore. <laughs> That's amazing. So that, so I quickly got promoted. And then like, but Zach Allen was really great. Like he, he taught me everything and then, and more. And then, so because Oto and B&B Restaurante, the kitchen was connected. So later, a month later, when Oto was opening, he just said, hey, you want to go check out Oto opening? So I also helped Oto open as a sous chef. So that just kind of like started my reputation of like being the opener of, of Las Vegas. And I got fired by Marble Tali, which is the best thing ever. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. Otherwise, I'll be too comfortable working with all my great friends. I'll probably never be who I am today because I, it was just a so super... It was a super fun environment without Marbutali. Uh, we all travel in packs and then cook all, with all events, all the chefs, we always cook. Like we go to California, we go to every single person's weddings for each other. Like when, they, when we get married, huh. all of us will show up. We went to like uh, New Hampshire, we went to Napa Valley, like you, we're, we're crazy. So like we always try traveling in packs. We had so much more, so much fun. And then, uh, but some politics thing, and I reported something for human re to to the human resource. So retaliation, blah blah blah. You all know what's wrong with Mark Batali. So I got fired because of that. <laughs> best thing ever. Wow. The best thing ever. And then because after I got fired, Jose Andres immediately came knocking the door, and and then so. So Oliver, Oliver Wharton, somebody we all know, he's the one that headhunted me. So were you at Haleo or Chino Poblano or both? Chino Poblano. So I was the, technically I wasn't, always happened to me. 
I wasn't in the, I wasn't the original opening chef for Chino Poblano. Uh, and then Oliver is like, I think Oliver wants to give it to me. And I'm like, I don't know Mexican food. Like, okay, Chinese food, great. But that technically I really don't know Chinese food either. I'm classically French trained, cook Italian, travel through Italy. I Italian food is like my passion at that time, right? And then but Oliver's is like, you got this, Shirley. And then, so I love literature. So I love food history. So I always be reading a lot. So when it comes to Chinese food, I have a lot, a lot of knowledge, just not hands-on experience. And, and then so, so, so all my Chinese cooking is really where I learned from my grandmother. And then, but the flavors and all that, that is from my traveling and reading. I have a lot of cookbooks. And then, and, and then also, I just love everything about food ever since I was little. So even like the storybook that I had growing up, a lot of it is about food history. It's, it's hilarious. I meant to be a chef. I just didn't know that yet. Uh, and then so, so, so Chino Pobano, we had another executive chef, like kind of hired. And then throughout training that he, he just couldn't handle it. And then also he wasn't from Vegas. So a lot of people like don't understand that to become a Vegas chef, there's a different ordering system. And then there's a lot of politics. There's just a lot of different things to make a Las Vegas chef unique. So when a chef come out, not executive chef coming in to Las Vegas, there's a, so much thing that you need to learn because it's very different. Like Vegas is in their like own bubble, structure bubble. And then so that chef had a really hard time that they, they had to like kind of demote him, make him a sous chef to work in Haleo because the craft to cuisine, it was just too much for him to handle. So I became uh, the head chef, executive chef for Chino Poblano before the opening. So I, I became the opening executive chef. But even though I was hired to be a sous chef, but I literally the whole time I was just doing executive chef's work because I was the only homegrown Las Vegas chef that know all the system and, and this and that. And, and so I became the opening chef. Such a unique dynamic system working in Las Vegas. I mean, the ordering systems, the structures, the hierarchy, the HR, the, and, and you know- The, the flow, the volume. People don't understand. Yeah. Like in Las Vegas, you do 2000 people a, a day is normal. Where are you putting anywhere else? You're like, what is this 2000 people cover? I remember when I was expoing at Chino Poblano, so for those people that have never been, is a cool Jose Andres, half Mexican, half Chinese, and crossed together. And there's two external kitchen. One is taqueria, so making tortillas and tacos in, in front of pe people. And another part is a giant dim sum steamer, so like fresh dim sum and dumpling steam and cook and fold in front of people. So two external kitchen in a dining room, plus a bat hot kitchen that do both cuisines together and grandma Jay station in the back. So it's three kitchen you have to manage at the same time. And then like, so expo A and then talking to people, coordinating, and then they do to goes. So when there's concert- about the to go window is always- Chino did to goes. So when there's concert going out or one marquee, the summer club is going out like crazy. Chino will do 1600 people to 2000 people in one day. And I remember uh, Expo, I love expoing. So Expo is a position that chef control the pace, right? Like for people that don't know, I love expoing and I love busy expoing. Cause it's like, like for me, I'm like, it's a sports team, right? Like I, like I like to say, actually I'm not even coach. I'm a quarterback when I'm, when I'm expoing. Cause I'm like, 
directing and looking at people and then thinking and then talking about game plan with my team and I make sure food come out. So like every time when I would be sit, sitting here like yelling out like fire, like seven, 20 vegetable fried rice, 12 chicken tacos, 14 this blah, blah, blah. You know, like, oh, oh my God, that feeling is like you've been busy and then you just like, like all this coverage just coming at you and then four diff 400 different people asking you a question and I can still answer them on very timely uh, ma manners and then my tickets are so organized that you ask me any table ticket ticket table number wherever their pace is at, at course is at, I don't even need to look at it, I just know in my head. And I will have minimum 45 tickets lining in front of me and looking and be organized and fire course by course. Ugh. The satisfied feeling that come out of it is the best. It's like the best. Nothing can come like it's the high that I can. There's no high can compete can compare to that high that I just did a 2,000 cover uh, service and super successful. And every single my line code came off the line high fiving each other because we did amazing service. I miss that. That's only Vegas. Only in Vegas. That doesn't only Vegas. <laughs> no, it doesn't exist anywhere else. Only Vegas. There's volumes like when they do convention. But the CES, when the convention comes in, we all get like, oh, oh, so excited. You get to sell the most expensive items and then you get to do a lot, see a lot of people's, oh, so good. That's all. When, when did you leave? I mean, this is so much and I don't think people realize you've really, you've done a lot at this point. At this point, we're still at Chino Poblano here. And I mean, what you've seen, what you've done, who you've worked with, all this knowledge that you're packing, it's, it kind of looks like a gigantic library in your head. You're just like filing it all away. When was the time when you said, I'm leaving Vegas and I'm gonna go to LA? So I say that every two years. That's why you see that like, I always get headhunted by different chefs and I always jump. I didn't really stay with anybody continuously. And then uh, you and then we met. So with opening of Cosmopolitan, and uh, one big thing Cosmo did was have Top Chef Master filming that season in the Cosmopolitan. And then so throughout the whole time, this one and everybody, all the producer would come in to my restaurant eat in Chino Poblano. So I became, you know, like everybody loved my food. And then we we did a lot of events. And then later year, I met Chef Charles Fan from San Francisco. Yep. Slammed the door. And like during the first Lucky Rice event in Las Vegas, which was in Cosmopolitan. And then being the home chef, so I helped all the uh, Los Angeles chefs get situated, help them set up schedule, uh, set up station, pass, health inspection. So like, so I was in with all the chefs and helping them. And then after Lucky Rice, uh, me and Chef Charles had a really great like, conversation. Like, we started talking, he just wanted to get to know me. And then that conversation ended up to be three hours in the, in the Cosmopolitan lobby. And so throughout the whole time, he pretty much kept telling me, he said, Shirley, I know like you love working for Chef, uh, Chef Jose. And then this, he said, pretty much lay out all the cons and pros and cons. And then he just said, but Shirley, tell me, like just from knowing you and then see what you do, you should really open your own restaurants. You are beyond a corporate chef because all this time, okay, so I just told you like, my, like I spent like more than 10 years in Las Vegas and I'm working through the best of the best, working for the best chefs. My, back then, my career goal was to be the best corporate chef 
running the culinary program for Jose Andres, which I already started. That was the opening of L uh, SLS in Miami, and then also doing an Asian menu for SLS in Los Angeles. And then Jose was like thinking about promoting me to be the culinary director of Think Food Group for Las Vegas. And then because he's looking at opening in uh, the SLS hotel in Las Vegas, or so like all this, so we start talking. And then so I was doing a lot of projects for Jose. And then I wasn't very happy. And, and then so like, so, so Charles, Chef Charles is like, surely like you think this is what you want because your parents, like we're being Asians, our parents always tell us to play safe, even though my, my dad was an entrepreneur, but, but my mom always said, find a good job, great insurance, pay high. And then that, back then I was one of the highest paid executive chef in Las Vegas, even in Las Vegas measure. Like I was getting paid really high. And, and so <clears throat> I negotiated with Oliver Wharton. <laughs> and so, I mean, I came back to Miami. I saw money. I understand my value by then. And then so, 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 so I was like, you know, I was living really comfortable life in Vegas and I have a great team, but Chef Charles sort of planted a seed in my head. <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then I just like, there's something happening in the corporate. There's like personal change and policy change. There's a lot of things. And I, I just feel like the politics of running a corporate, because I think food group is be becoming a bigger corporate as, like since I started, like all that changes. And then sort of like, I was like, I left the corporate world for cooking. And then now I'm coming back to all these things, politics and all this X, Y, Z. I hate it. I, I really didn't want it to do this. So I left. I was like, okay, I'm going to move back to California. Here I am. And, and then, uh, so, so then yeah, Top Chef happened. Right? Huh? You get on huh? Top Chef. Before I'd be on Top Chef. So I left. So I actually left Chino Poblano. I left Cosmopolitan trying to sell my house because the housing market in Vegas was coming back. So all my investment, I had two houses. My investment house pricing are, are coming back. So I was like, oh, maybe I can actually go back to buy a house in California and then just restart our life. And, and then so I quit my job. And then my husband like, is thinking about quit his job. He's working in IT in Las Vegas then. And then uh, so he was like, so, and then, and then I start getting calls from Cosmopolitan's uh, PR team asking me if I'm coming back. I'm like, no, I'm not. I already told TFG, I'm not coming back. They're like, okay. And then my friend from Chino Poblano started calling me. She was a manager. And then she just said, hey, so Top Chef is looking for me. I was looking for you. I was like, oh, okay, great. And then somebody else called me. So like, there's multiple people calling me within a week telling me that Top Chef is looking for me. I was like, oh, okay, great. So where's Top Chef? I, I, you are looking for me. I cannot find you. I don't know how to find you. <laughs> so apparently the producer of Top Chef being like, pay, like, pay attention to me because of Top Chef Master, because they all come into the restaurant to eat. And then, uh, and then so, so, uh, so they started to go back to Shinobabano to look for me to eat for a month straight. And then they asked Cosmopolitan, they asked TFG, but nobody would give them a straight answer be because they didn't find my replacement yet. So from a publicist point, they just kept saying that I was on a leave and I'll be back. I, like I wasn't going back. And then finally, the Top Chef people give their phone number to my friend in the restaurant, the manager in the restaurant. And then my friend says, oh, if she wants to be on Top Chef, she will call you. And then I did it. 
Because I was like, do I really want it to be on Top Chef? Because I know Hong already by then. Hong won Top Chef. Yep. And he was my sous chef when we were in Gisawa coming up together. I was the master cook. He was my boss. But anyway, so like, you know, all the ego problem, all this sort of thing. I know people from Top Chef. So I was like, do I really wanted to do that? And then my husband and my friends are like, you're not doing that shit. Like, you're going, you're planning to go back to California, but you don't even have a job lining up. So it's perfect timing. Now you have time to do Top Chef. Before Top Chef asked, when I was in Carnegie, before, uh, that, like, I didn't have time. I was opening restaurants. So, so I was like, they were like, I was like, okay, fine. So that's what happened. I'd be on Top Chef once. And then after Top Chef, I opened my first restaurant under my name, like, called 20A Modern Chinese Orange County. Didn't really enjoy Orange County that much because I didn't really know exactly Orange County, how, like, the way it is. Uh, and then, so after that, Top Chef asked me to go on Top Chef again. I was like, okay, sure. And so I went on again. And after that, uh, I came out to, then we got ready to open my own restaurant. So we sold both houses in Las Vegas, have funding. And also whatever we got from my last restaurant deal, then uh, I opened Miss Chi in 2018. It's funny because I remember you walking out when I was actually judging the second time you were on. Right, radish challenge. Radish challenge. You guys all thought I was going to give you a bag of guts. <laughs> you wanted the guts. I was looking for, I wanted the guts. You wanted the guts. I wanted you, the guts. You were the only one who looked with a big shit-eating grin on your face. You were like, yes, Chris is going to give us something great. Oh, and then oh, I, didn't know. I was looking radish. forward to it. Like, radish? What the fuck? Why rad radish is my all-time favorite vegetable. I love them more than anything. But the look on everybody's face of sheer fucking terror when I walked out and they were like, and it's going to be Chris. And you were sitting in the back. I remember looking at you, the look on your face, you were like, I'm like yes! tripe, tripe, you're going, and everybody's face was just like sheets, white, white, dead white. They were petrified. And then I said radish and everybody just was like, what the, and you looked at me and gave me the big point. And then the camera stops and you go, seriously, Chris, what the fuck? <laughs> and everybody started laughing. I was so disappointed. I was so disappointed. Like, they didn't want it. They did not want it. They did not want me to do tripe. I was totally- I wanted to. Okay, so like, I, I have to admit, like throughout my career, you, I always remember you because like what you cook. I always know you, like even before. It's so funny to think like there's so much culturally where Ophel fits in all around the world. And it's just been kind of a secondary thought for a lot of cultures, you know? Uh, okay, Chris, tell me if I'm right. I feel like, like you are driving that, the trend of using Ophel, using nose to tell, like the mid 2000s or so, like 2010, like around that. And then this few years is falling off. Like you don't see that anymore. Like you don't, like I remember when I was like cooking in Las Vegas, like I had a tripe on like for B&B &B restaurant on Ronte and I was popular. And yeah, I like- I think what we're, it's interesting because organ meats or offal or variety meats or whatever anybody chooses to call it. The real the thing about them that are really interesting is that it is cucina povera, right? It's cuisine of the poor. Poor, yeah. And it was the cuts that required a lot of work, a lot of time, um, a lot of cleaning, a lot of proper handling. And, but it, it was also used in a time of need. 
right? It was something that could be braised, preserved, put up, unless it was like a liver, which then they would make pâtés or kidneys, all those things. And now more than ever is a time where it makes sense because the price of meat has skyrocketed, right? All four-legged animals, beef, lamb, pork, and goat have gone up 48% in cost. So you would think at a time like this, those cuts would become more readily available or more readily used because they are a nutrient dense form of protein that are more cost effective to the public. But it's actually fallen out of favor even more. And I'm not, I don't know. I definitely think there's still the fear of it. I mean, my biggest pet peeve with the whole world of food is that we have a culture of people who love, love horror movies. They love watching The Walking Dead. So they'll totally fine with watching people eat people on television, but yet they don't feel comfortable eating organ meats. But yet they'll eat bacon, they'll eat pork chops, they'll eat, you know, skeleton. Fake meat? They will eat fake meat versus organ meat, which I find so that's so processed. It's, it's such a frustrating situation because I'm the one who's like, for years I was called a monster. I was called the devil and, you know, but yet people still watch people eat people on television and love it. Like they're hooked on these shows. And I'm like, you're okay with that, but you're not okay with actually eating a eating tripe <laughs> or having chitlins or eating liver. It's just, I think a disconnect. I think people become associated with the cut or the organ and they say, oh, well, I have one of those, so I can't eat that. Well, you do have a tenderloin, you do have ribs, and you do have chops, and okay. everything's there. You have the yeah. structure, you know, it's just, you just, for some reason, associate, the public associates those cuts of meat with oneself, which I don't understand why. Yeah, I definitely feel like before is really common sweet bread, right? Like, just talk about sweet, like the old sweet bread is super common to see on menu. Oh my God, I don't know if it's because I'm in Los Angeles too. Los Angeles people definitely stay away from those awful a little bit more, but I swear I haven't seen sweet bread on the menu for years, at least here, which is- We're actually gonna be doing uh, grilled sweet breads up in Napa with uh, grilled sweet breads with grilled morels and grilled ramps. That's gonna be on the new menu. Um, oh, I, I, I love brain. <laughs> oh yeah, grains are delicious. Like, grains, oh my god, they're the texture is so beautiful. They're pillowy. They have this yes. like feel on the palate, but then the richness that coats. Um, there's nothing like it. There's there's no other thing like it out there. And I think it really comes down to a situation of people getting over their personal fears. Fair. And I think like what my goal was always to do was to put the familiar with the unfamiliar, right? Bacon with something or asparagus with a cut. And it really kind of, oh, it's asparagus with sweet bread gribiche, or I'll do calves brains um, with bacon and capers, right? So there's a piece of big thick slab bacon and, you know, texturally it's got, but it's, it's again, it's, it's a world of kind of getting people to not be scared. I know, it's like, it's, it's like, I literally feel like when it comes to adventure eating, like the past few years are like like going backwards. They're not really advancing anymore. No, I think, don't forget though, people, we've been closed down for the pandemic for a long time, right? So recall that 
people when you're in stress and you're in fear you go for you don't go for you go yeah. for comfort because yeah. there's enough uncertainty in the world around you and going for something that you're not quite sure about or you've never had before is already it, the world's traumatic enough we don't need to add that mm. to the list of food and i think we'll go back it's just going to take time i mean everybody has to get resituated to life you know it's like restaurants are are starting to open up full you know, people are being able to sit back again. It's really just going to be rediscovering dining, I think, all over again. It's going to take some time. Yeah, waiting for. Yeah. I mean, like, it's coming back. It's like we already fell the past two weeks. Literally, like they, they said, the mask is lifting. You see people coming in. Also, the fact that because my restaurant is like nearby, like Sony Studio, Amazon Studio. So more like a lunch ha afterward, happy hour type of restaurant before pandemic. And then, and since uh, be during, we stayed it open, uh, at, but then like doing two goals and stuff. So pivot our business, um, but a big part of a lunch business went away. And then the past two weeks, we actually feeling, start seeing people coming out. And then they're like, the office people were telling, telling us that. So uh, all, most of office mandatory that you don't have to come back for four weeks, but you do have to have come back to office three days out of a week. So we can tell just with the business okay. level, we're like, oh, today is like not mandatory. Oh, today is mandatory. Tomorrow is not mandatory. Like you see the business level going up and down. But so, yeah, I mean, like the world is slowly coming back. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your restaurant and and how that's going and and talk a little bit about the dumpling program you're doing. Because I mean, it's you're you're doing things on Gold Belly where people can order. Are you still going to be doing that continuously? hundred percent. Oh, my God. So my last year is the full blown. So what last year was 2021. Yeah. So last year, 2020. So I started on Gold Belly 2019, a few months before pandemic. Uh, and then so one uh, March stay home order happened in Las Vegas, uh, in, not Las Vegas in Los Angeles, uh, my restaurant closed. Uh, um, for four months, perfectly four months. And then one week, and so, so Go Belly, and then that time that before pandemic, I was just selling two items on Go Belly because I met Go Belly's founder in one of the tech talk. Uh, so I found them in, the business model intriguing. So ever since I opened Miss Chi and I started to have all kinds of dumplings, my goal is always to be on Go Belly. So that's already pre-pandemic. So I got on Go Belly before pandemic. And then, uh, when I when a restaurant reopened in July again, um, like business is so different. So I was looking for all ways to pivot. And, and then Go Belly, all of a sudden, they were so happy that I came back. And my first old, my first week of sales tripled from my original uh, members already. And then so the Go Belly team were telling me that because of the pandemic and then all the business are going up like crazy. So so I was the first Chinese vendor, the first dumpling that I was offering. Uh, and then because I closed for four months, so they were looking for replacements. So I suggested my friend, Dumpling Monster, uh, Perry, which is locally here. And then so I introduced him to Go Belly platform. So he actually filled the void of Chinese dumpling during that four months. So uh, and then uh, on Go Belly. And then so when I restarted, um, I expanded my offering. Um, but how I expanded is literally whatever I sell in a restaurant exactly the same menu. I just freeze them and then sell them go belly. So instead of two dumplings, I have three dumplings, the cheeseburger popsicle and the chicken uh, popsicle. Those are my OG. And I added pork and shrimp one time. Then I added, cause I do different things. I do gluten-free orange chicken. Uh, 
And then, so, and I also do vegan handful scallion pancakes. So it's like different. So it's not your typical orange chicken. They're gluten-free because I know a lot of people that love Chinese food and then finding out their celiac disease, they cannot have Chinese food, but I, I make gluten-free version. And then I also added tea smoked duck. Same thing. That's a pandemic item that I decided to add onto my restaurant because I wanted to increase my check average because since pandemic, I realized people's spending is quite different. You know, like before, when you create a restaurant menu, your price point, the item, you want to kind of stay in the range, right? Uh, like I will not just say if most of my dishes are around $20, I'm not going to pull like a super high price ticket because it doesn't make sense. But pandemic, I'll change the rule. A lot of times people just order, like when it comes to go, they just order anything. So I did a testing, I added like a high item, which is half tea smoked duck for $30. I have nothing over $22 then. So I had a $30 mm-hmm. item and a, and a menu and I was selling out like crazy. So I was like, oh. So I added whole tea, tea smoked duck onto Go Valley menu. And then uh, pork chop rice, Taiwanese pork chop rice, which is the same thing. It's a comfort food, uh, something that my me and my husband crave. So I put that comfort food onto the menu and I also sell in Go Belly. And also a pork belly ragu, which is a Beijing noodle with different condiments. Oh, so I have eight items. So I, I have a mini restaurant on Go Belly. So because of that, from my first on to 2020, like the same month, we did a comparison. I had a thousand percent growth on Goldberg. <laughs> That's amazing. And then, so my last year is the first full year because all of my year was like chopped out before. So my last year, 2021 is the first full year. $600,000 sales. That's crazy. It's a mini restaurant. It's it a restaurant. It pays the rent. I, it literally, Gold Valley pays my rent. I don't have to worry about rent. And then everything else coming. So because of Go Valley is so consistent, so strong. So my restaurant out of seven days actually closed for two days, Monday and Tuesday. We completely closed the restaurant. Uh, and then so during those two days, my production. So we made we, we crank out tens and thousands of dumplings over. For Smart. Yeah, exactly. For hundreds of oh no, Go, uh, dumplings also production is for Miss Chi too. Remember, everything on Go Valley is everything in Miss Chi. Mm. So my main production day are those two days. Whatever I can bulk up, you know, you know, like to do make all the sauces and then uh, do all the dumplings and then cook off scallion pancake to freeze them to ship go belly because my scallion pancake dough were cooked from fresh for my regular service. It takes a lot. It's eight minute per cook. But during those two days, we will lay out like 20 uh, every single burner to cook scallion pancake to because every single one is still hand full and hand cook. So I said now I sell like over 300 pieces of scallion pancake a week on Go Belly. So my production team is crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, my, I have, I, it's amazing. I hired a whole family working for me. I started with mom. So the mom was my dump, lead dumpling girl. And then like, uh, she's Mexican. When I first hired her, I asked her, like, she has no clue what dumpling is. And then I was like, do you know what's empanada? She said, yeah. I was like, do you make empanadas? She said, yeah. I was like, you're hired. So so, and then, so she's been my lead since my opening and like, she managed the parts, she built all the boxes and then like, you know, like, cause we hand build and then we hand pack every single dumpling box and all the stickers is all done by her. And then because our business grew, so she recruited at first, it's like her daughter was our barista. So start working for part-time in the kitchen. 
And then like she needs more help. So she asked if her husband can join her. And I was like, yeah, but only if you are your husband's boss. And then and I was like, you cannot let him boss you around. She's like, yeah, not, not a problem. <laughs> I love that. So, so the husband works for her. And then now our business grew, like we have more dumpling. Like, like so two of her daughters are older too now. So, so I have, so she has three daughters, her husband all working for her and working for us. That's awesome. And, and that's- they, 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 they take care of the whole production. It's amazing. Cause like, it's always like, I don't even, like a lot of times on like Monday, Tuesday, I don't, I don't go in at all. I don't really see them. So it's like on Sunday, write down the prep list. I would send her a picture and tell her what's delivery and then what's XYZ, who's coming in the door. And then we talk the plan and then self-efficient. Uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we ship out Go Valleys. So on those two days in the morning before our lunch service, we will ship out over 300 boxes. We will pack 300 boxes and UPS will pick up from our little restaurants. So a lot of times people think, oh my God, like, do you have like a factory or commerce area? Do you have a team? I'm like, no, everything do out of my restaurant. So I close two days a week because the revenue and everything really makes sense for me to close those two, two, two days. People say, oh, do you want to rent out for pop-up? Do you want to rent out for this? I was like, only if my team is not busy, then we can rent out for pop-up. Otherwise I can't even. <laughs> I love it. Well, Shirley, I've taken a lot of your time today. So we're going to do this quick fire. I know you miss quick fires. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I feel like it's just me talking. Like this is me. Like, did I warn you? This is about you, not about me. I talk a lot. That's it. This is what it's about. It's about you, not me. So, okay. No wrong answers. Ready? Red wine, white wine. Red. Beef or pork? Beef. Chicken duck? Duck. Sashimi nigiri? Nigiri. Sea urchin caviar. Caviar. Shrimp, lobster. Shrimp. Favorite crab. Uh, muck crab, Singapore. I haven't. No one said that yet. You're the first what? one. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> awesome, because I love those. <laughs> They're the best. But hey, have you heard of the story of them, though? I haven't heard the story, but I've had them. Can I tell you the story? I oh. wonder if I tell you the story if you still eat them. So there's Sri Lanka crab right? That's mud crab from Sri Lanka. They're the best. They're all from the same region, blah, blah, blah. And Sri Lanka has this funeral tradition is um, the people like royalty get flown, like you get flowed down the river. That's a way, burial, burial, burial. Yeah. Burial tradition is flown that the, the, the river. So the crab that grew up in that region, the, in the river, they're the fattiest, the most tasty mud crab ever. Very oh. priced. <laughs> I yeah. wonder why. That's all, that's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> we'll just so leave that's it. So I'm just gonna leave it like that. Okay. So like the people in Singapore, Malaysia, like people that eat mud Thank crab, we all, we all know. That's amazing. Oh my God, you're so funny. Okay, burrito taco. Taco. Pasta, noodles. They're the same. Mm. Ah, you're so annoying. Because for me, I love them all. I can't both. There. <laughs> Dumplings, ravioli. Oh. Again, similar, but dumpling. <laughs> <laughs> but is it? It's interesting, right? When you think about it, they are just—they're the same but different, right? Because when you have 
ravioli, it's a very traditional style dough. But when you have dumplings, there's multiple- Can be anything. Yes, there's different- no, so, 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 but, okay, so can I tell you? Uh, so right now, currently, I've been running a freedom dumpling to donate all the pro proceeds to Ukraine right now. It's a blue and yellow dumpling. So and now a lot of other foreign language media being interviewed me or like the article got translated into different language. So one of them, my favorite is Italian press. I Italian uh, like translated that. So instead of blue and uh, blue and yellow postickers, they translated into blue and yellow raviolis. Yeah. And I saw like my good friend Sylvia, she's Italian. So I sent the article to her. I was like, hey, isn't it supposed to be like mezzalune because of the shade? Why <laughs> they translate that into raviolis? And, and then she just like, then she told me, she said, oh, for the Italians, also just in normal. It doesn't matter if it's a field pasta, they call it ravioli. So it's like ravioli is like the word for dumpling. It's like they change, they they can interchange too. So it's 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 so it's the, same. it's the same. I mean, every culture has a filled, steamed, or boiled thing, right? hundred percent. Yeah. It has a wrapped thing, whether it's a burrito, a falafel. I mean, there's so many different swarm, there's so many different, and that's why cabbage roll. Yeah. Dumpling. It's amazing, right? Hamburger, Calzone. hamburger, hot dog, hamburger, ketchup, mustard, ketchup, mm. Heinz, ketchup only, Heinz you only. Just, you just, I can taste it. You just start saying Yoon in the heart right there. I know. Guess what? I caught him buying Heinz ketchup in Restaurant Depot, in our Restaurant Depot, because we're in the same neighborhood. And I like, I look at, I didn't even say anything. I just look at him. He's like, this is for family meal. I was like, hey, I didn't even say anything. You don't have to explain, whatever. You got caught with ketchup. I was like, I tried to take a picture then he ran away. <laughs> That's amazing. Dark <laughs> beer, light beer. Light beer. Coffee or tea? Tea, for enjoyment. Coffee for necessity. <laughs> Drip coffee or espresso? Espresso. Cappuccino or a double espresso? Cappuccino. Okay. Extra light foam. Light foam. I like Macchiato that. is the best, actually. The best. The best. Okay. Chocolate or fruit? <gasps> oh, I hate you because I love both. How about chocolate cold and fruit? <laughs> there you go. You won. You've got the best answers. It's so fun. <laughs> favorite, favorite candy? Favorite, favorite candy? Ah. Everybody, okay. Everybody has one. I do. I do. So there's this giant fruit jelly. So it's a gummy, but it's made with real fruit, but it has to be made in Japan because only the Japanese version is made with real fruit. So they have muscat grape, they have like white peach, they have strawberry, but like one thing about Japanese labels are they can only label with real fruit, with fruit picture if there's real fruit juice in there. So therefore those juicy giant poppy jelly, gummy thing, they're made with real fruit. So they're like this giant and coming in a little bag like that. Uh, muscat grape flavor is like a giant fruity jello gummy thing from Japan. That sounds really good. 
Yeah, it's, it is really good. It's so good. It's so good to the point that I used to buy them from Amazon. And then realizing that a lot of times a big package ships it to you, if they're made in Hong Kong, they're not the same. They're not like real juicy, only the made in Japan one. So the best ones is still when I bought in the Tokyo in the candy store. They're the best. Oh my God. Okay. But I also, I also, I, I also love, but just for fun more than anything else, Japanese Kit Kats. Oh yeah. All the different flavors. Those are fun. All the seasonal flavors are the best. Like yeah. they have an apple one. Oh. So good. Oh, Kit Kats. So good. Okay. Favorite fast food? Yeah, no. And guilty pleasure? Uh, McDonald's chicken nuggets. <laughs> I would have expected. Sweet sour, sweet sour only. Sweet sour only. Okay, so Shirley, if people want to find you, where are they going to find you? They can find me on social media, Chef Shirley Chong, but I spelled it weird, so it is C H F Shirley Chong. I'll spell it out on all platforms, pretty much. That's the way. Or you can look for the hashtag Downplaying Mafia Queen. That'll be me. Or come to my restaurant in Miss She Cafe in Culver City. We're at downtown Culver City. Or you anywhere else in nation, you can go on Go Belly. Just Google Shirley Chow, my name, and my store will pop up. And then you get to have all my offering from Miss She. So, and everybody, just so you know, one. Oh, yeah, watch us on uh, Tournament Champion. Watch Shirley on Tournament of Champions. She made it forward. I didn't. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, Definitely make sure you get down to Shirley's restaurants, order from her for Gold Belly, and she's always doing really, really delicious food and always having fun. As you can tell, she has zero energy. She's a really meek, quiet woman. She's oh, so shy. Today. She's so shy. So shy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. It's so great to have you. Fun chatting. <laughs> Bye. Bye.